We must be saved. Are you glad for that name? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise, shall we? Praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, Brother Joey Booker. Sitting in the seat back there today, listening to these wonderful men minister the Word of God so wonderfully and capably, kind of had an idea how those cowboys must feel at the rodeo when they're sitting on the bull and waiting for the gate to open. If I can just stay on eight more seconds, we'll... Without getting stomped on, I guess I'll be all right. Yeah. I think one of the most cruel and unusual punishments is given to the ministry when they're invited to speak at a meeting such as this. And the powers that be in their efficiency invite you and give you plenty of advance warning so that you can bite your fingernails and walk the floor and read the Bible and Go down and buy a pack of cherry-flavored roll eggs. Read the Bible some more. <laughs> buy a pint of Maalox. Read the Bible some more. And buy a fifth of Maalox. Read the Bible some more. I was caught up in that. And... Uh, I stopped myself one day, or the Lord did, or somebody did, and uh, said, Ballestero, when it comes to sermonizing, you're out of your league. Only thing I can do here today is just let my heart talk. So I'm not here to try to match oratory with anybody. I can't. But I, I want my heart to talk to you. I just hope and pray my mouth doesn't get in the way. One thing that I do have is I have something that I feel very, very deeply in my, uh, in my heart. I'm normally kind of a wall-to-wall -wall preacher. I, I don't like to stay restricted. And I can relate to Brother Gossam's preaching and movement around. Uh, I don't know. I may, I may do that today, but I may just stay right behind a desk. So don't... don't judge me one way or the other. If you just like preachers that stay behind the pulpits all the time, well, you're going to be in for a surprise sometime if you ever see me again. And if you'd like the only preachers that just run back and forth, well, then you're going to have to sit and wait a while till the next one gets up. But in the meantime, my prayer is that the Holy Ghost will meet with us right here. I'm very cognizant and very much aware of who I'm preaching to of the ministers that are here, of the churches that are here, of the saints that's here. I understand that I am preaching to preachers that are revival-minded, that are prayer-minded, that are worship-minded, to churches that are revival-minded, that believe in prayer, that believe in worship. I've seen your demonstrations of prayer and worship here. I like it. The reason I like it, I do the same thing. That's why I like it. Praise God. Uh, 
Is there any special significance on why I'm preaching on trick-or-treat day? You know, you can think you see something sometimes, and what you think you see may not be what you're really seeing. My wife and I decided we wanted one of these big six-foot four-poster beds. And of course, that's been a few years ago, and we've since moved that down to the guest bedroom. But we got one of these big four-poster beds, big, massive thing. And uh, I, I came home from church one night, and I just took my suit coat off, and I just hung it up over the one of the posters there at the end of the bed. It was no-no, but I did it anyway. It was cold winter time, and bald-headed people have problems in the snow, and I just took my hat off and hung it over on top of the hat. I mean, on top of the coat there on the end of the bed. And I went on, got in bed, and about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, the room was dark, and I squinted my eyes, and I saw this man looking down on me at the foot of my bed. In a flash, I was out of the bed. I had my fist drawn back, and I was fixing the cold cock that sucker right there. And my wife opened one eye and said, Marty, dog, it's a bed. I'd have broken every knuckle in my fist. <laughs> what you think you're seeing may not always be just really what you're looking at. Some things in life we have to take a second look at. Because what, what it appears to be on the surface may be something totally different. And I pray that when the light gets turned on in this room of ours, that we'll see things in a different light and see them for what they really are. Some people growing up I have honored and appreciated, and I, all I saw was their flamboyance. I didn't see the shallowness that was there, and I didn't see the worldliness and the carnality. And I had to take another look at them as I grew older and matured and developed. And I'm glad for teaching that has, preaching that has brought us this far. I have learned a long time ago the importance of staying close to your pastor. I know that as a PK or as a preacher's kid, it's kind of difficult sometimes when your pastor is also your father. What you want to tell him as your pastor, your daddy has to find out about. And what you want to tell your daddy, your pastor finds out about. So you're kind of in a heap of trouble. But if you want to be saved bad enough, you learn to eat an awful lot of humble pie growing up. Amen. i tell you one thing I want to make the, the city. I want to make the city with everything that's within me. How about y'all? Praise God, praise God. I'm reading this afternoon. I'm kind of competing with Paul Harvey News here. If you see anybody leaving, that's probably where they're going to go. Luke chapter 8. I want to read verse number 6 and verse number 13. This will be your last chance to stand for an hour. So you might stand and refresh yourself one more time. People that stand up really appreciate it when they get to sit down. And if I, when I say you may be seated, at least, at least you can go home saying, well, he said one good thing today. No doubt you found Luke chapter 8, and I want to read verse 6 and verse 13. And some fell upon a rock 
And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Verse 13, They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. God bless you. You may be seated. I want today to preach to you on, the, on this subject, the age of shallowness. I am not coming here condemning this audience or this congregation. I tried to preface my remarks by telling you I know that you're revival-minded people. I see your worship, and I see and I hear and I feel the presence of the Lord. I have been privileged the last half a dozen years to travel and to uh, preach around the country and in and out of the country 20 to 24 weeks out of the year uh, or, or good portions of those weeks and I've had an opportunity to see how the other half of Pentecost lives and not everybody enjoys what you're enjoying right here not everybody feels what you feel not everybody thinks like you think but I am glad today to be in a place where the language of revival is spoken. You know, in school they had what they call, uh, they taught Latin, and they said it was a dead language, and they had a Latin club, and you want to speak Latin, you go to that place. Nobody else understood what you was talking about. I've been to too many places where it seemed like all they wanted to talk was venom and criticism and sports and politics and worldliness and gossip, but I'm glad to be in a place where they talk worship and revival and prayer Vision, praise God, praise God, praise God, righteousness and holiness. A couple weeks ago, two possibly, my oldest son's fiance visited our home with her mother. And uh, my wife is very picture oriented. And uh, I was had my arm nearly twisted behind my back to get the projector out and show some slides of of Anthony when he was a baby. And so here we are showing old slides up on the wall there, and, and she wants to see what her husband-to-be looked like when he was a pup. And so uh, the projector is normally anything does that I own, it jammed. And so here we are trying to work on the projector, and we got people sitting there waiting, and, and no one is looking where they had been looking, but everyone is looking back at the projector, waiting for the projector to get fixed. You and I are projectors, and today I am a projector trying to project Jesus Christ. And everything goes well as long as the projector is working all right and we can see what is being projected. The problem is when the projector breaks down, people quit looking at Jesus Christ and they start looking at me and they start looking at you. God help me to be the right kind of projector. God help me to be the right kind of vehicle and source that can project Jesus Christ to a world that needs to see what he really looks like. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'm amazed by the man, Benjamin Keach, who lived in about the 16th century. I have a book or two by him, and uh, he wrote one on the preaching from the types and the metaphors of the Bible. 
And when I read what the man wrote without the benefit of a concordance, a big, big thick volume, how much the man had to research and how much he had to, to study and absorb and, and remember, I am amazed at the depth that he had with just such a limited experience in God. We sing songs like Amazing Grace and some of the old songs of the church. And people wrote them without some of the same experiences that you and I enjoy in our hearts today. But yet there was a depth to what they had to say. There was a depth to what experience that they did have. I'm not trying to shove someone in heaven that doesn't belong there. I am just trying to say that they, in their limited way, did their best to take advantage of all of the knowledge they had of God. I have been have had given to me quite a few books by my father and and quite a few books by my from my father-in-law's library who's my father-in-law since gone on to meet the Lord and I I look at some of the books that I buy nowadays on the on the shelf they're shallow they're empty they're charismatic in format some of the old ones that look like they're a hundred years old seem to have some real meat and seem to have some, something you can chew on and feel and enjoy and know that they had an experience with God. You read a, a paragraph or two and you have to stop and think about it. You read and tears run down your cheek as men talked about praying and talked about revival and talked about souls and talked about unselfishly sacrificing their time and all of their livelihood for the work of God. One thing that I want you to know is that we didn't start out in this experience shallow. You didn't start out shallow. I didn't start out shallow. Shallowness is one thing, but shallowness and being unashamed is another thing. If there's anything that ought to be embarrassing to me is to be shallow when God has given me so much of an opportunity to grow, to mature, to develop in Him. I've heard preaching in these meetings the last several years that has thrilled and enriched my heart. You've heard preaching like that. We've had opportunities to grow, and I hope to God we're taking advantage of the opportunities that we've had. God doesn't mean for me to live and die and be shallow in my heart the whole time. Brother Ballesteros, still waters run deep. Well... I was always told that still waters don't run at all. Amen. Praise God. I've all, just let me throw this out while I'm here. I'll probably forget it now that I've thought about it. I'm going to move right on. It's interesting to me that shallowness seems to have its own style of dress. It has its own style of speech. and Shallowness chooses out its own uh, fellowship and partners. You let somebody move into your church or a new saint get in, be born into your church you give them about six weeks and you can just nearly tell what they're going to be by who they choose to run with and the kind of fellowship they seek out. Worshiping people will seek out worshipers. Carnal people will find carnal people to fellowship with. But I tell you, if you ever got it in your mind to live for God, get it in your mind today to get some depth in your soul and get spiritual in God. Drive you some roots down as far as they can go and don't let anything in this world shake you.
I'm very much a sentimentalist. And uh, years ago, I, I was born and raised in an evangelist family, and I went to 25 schools growing up around the nation. And there was times when we had, a, had to go to school. Dad couldn't take Mom and the rest of us kids with him, so he would just kind of settle down in an area, and we would go to school. You know, we didn't have trailers to pull around the nation then. And not everybody was just real happy to see a preacher with five kids come in the house. I was pretty nice, but I had four real mean sisters. <sighs> Lord, forgive me for that, right? <laughs> no, I had wonderful sisters. But I, my mom and dad didn't have telephones that they could call one another. And one time in Portland, Oregon, a piece of property was, uh, someone let them use a piece of property, and they built a one-room shack. Cost $33. Tar paper on the outside. Had a little tar paper on the roof. One room. We had bedroom over here and, and had the living room right there and the kitchen right here. There was no running water in it. I don't remember if there was any electricity in it or not. I, I've slept since then. I do know that the refrigerator was a hole in the ground outside which you put, put a board over it to cover it up, kept it cool down there. And uh, the little be excused room was down the, the ways, ways away. And, uh, but my, my uncle was, was more affluent in those days, my uncle Stan, and he had a wire recorder. And so he would bring that over so that my mother could make a wire recording, and he gave my father a wire recorder so dad could play the wire recordings that mother sent to him, and then daddy could send the wire recordings back. And so that's how they communicated. Sometimes he was gone as long as four months. So when my sister Carlene was born, I was so about five or so, and Beverly was uh, about 14 months younger. And so here we are, three little kids, and uh, my mother in the tar paper shack, and I was listening. I, I got the wire recordings. I possessed them now. And I found a wire recorder and I transcribed them over to cassettes and I was listening to them. And my mother is letting my daddy hear our little voices and we're talking to them. And, and I got to putting myself in her place wondering what I would say if my companion was gone. And sure, she said, I love you and I miss you, honey. But she didn't sing. Mother had a little ukulele. That was her music. And she began to play and strum the little ukulele. Any of y'all know my mama? And she, she would play the little ukulele, and I thought, well, she'll sing, Let Me Call You Sweetheart. Or, or she'll play, I, I Love You Always, whatever songs are, love songs. No, she sang songs like, God Will Take Care of You. She sang songs about the work of God. The talk was about the work of God. They went, Dad went down to Brother Terry's and Brother Jimmy Davis's and went down to Texas and preached and for Brother Hennigan and a few people people and I'm listening to what they're saying they don't they don't pass the time of day they don't say how are the kids doing they they talk about we had a wonderful revival and I tell you souls got baptized in Jesus name and we had an all-night prayer meeting and I listened to every one of those eight or nine tapes and they all had to do with singing with worship with praying with communion services with things that drew people closer to God and I said, dear God, nowadays when we talk to people that we miss or love, we tell things that's humorous and we tell things that's funny. We talk about things that try to pick people up. Amen. And we, we, we laugh and I said, oh God, 
I, I'm not trying to make somebody like somebody else. I just want you to know this is where some of our roots came from. I just want you to know what brought us to where we were. People who have the work of God at heart took it serious. It wasn't just a laughing matter. They didn't run out the door to McDonald's because there was no McDonald's to go to. They got their food in the house of God. They ate here. They worshiped here. They praised God here. Praise God and God met them here. Preached down in the Virgin Islands few. I, I'm I'm completely off my own normal way to talk, but I'm just I'm just talking to you today. I went to the Virgin Islands to preach. I'd never been there, and the man had about a thousand in his church, and it was an all-black church. And I stayed in his home with him, and uh, we had good church. They had a little twelve-year-old boy play the organ, and whether they played "Standing on the Promises," "Hold the Fort." surrender all or whatever they played it was the same calypso beat and they had a three-piece drum over there and the preacher he played with accordion with one hand and led song service sitting down just hit the chords that's all he could do that's all the music they had for a thousand people and the first verse there was at least a hundred to 150 people dancing they wasn't necessarily just shouting they were just dancing in the spirit Worshiping God. I got to looking at those folks every night. There'd be at least 100, 105, or 115 or so in the, in the altar seeking for the Holy Ghost. And I don't know how many got the Holy Ghost. I, I, they didn't count, so I didn't either. But they, some of those ladies wore the same dresses every night. Barefooted in church. Brought their kids there, set there barefooted. But after service was over, they walked up and down outside the church, arms around each other singing and saying, oh, this is the most wonderful thing we've ever had. Oh, thank you, Jesus. God, you're good. You're wonderful. When they were standing in groups, they were criticizing somebody else. They weren't talking about the preacher or any other saints. They were talking about what a wonderful revival and what a wonderful move of God they were experiencing. I say, do it again, Jesus. I got to thinking about the church I pastor. It's a wonderful church. But I said, God, we're spoiled brats in America. We have everything on the outside, but we need more on the inside. It's not dangerous to laugh and be happy. It's dangerous to be shallow. You know, I was about 25 or so, married. I was at a special meeting, and uh, at this special meeting, I found myself, everybody else was going out to eat, and that word had hit me so hard in, a, in the Bible class that afternoon that I, I couldn't take it. I went back behind the baptistry, and everybody went. And I found myself face down on the floor. I went into uh, just groanings. I, I, I just, I had to get something on the inside. I, I just had to have a touch of God in my heart. And uh, Brother Roger Evans and my father were talking. And Brother Evans could evidently hear me. I didn't know anybody was in the building. And Brother Evans told my father, he said, Doc, he said, I can't stand that. He said, go back and do something for that boy. I said, I, I can't. I can't handle that. He said, that's tearing my heart out. My father said, no, I'm not going to go back there. He said, if God don't break him, he'll never be worth a thing for the work of God. 
I thank God that my father never come back and try to do anything to, to stop me from praying. Sure, my heart was breaking, but sometimes God has to break people. And sometimes God has to reach on the inside of your heart for there to be anything there and do something for you. Praise God. Praise God. Maybe, maybe you're not seeing where I'm coming from, but I'm the kind of man, if I'm driving down the road and I feel tears start to well up my eyes, I just pull over beside the road and lift my hands in the air. Amen. It won't hold another ten minutes. I've got to talk to God right then. Amen. I, I know what it's like to go a while and not feel the touch of God. So when I do feel it, I want to stop right there and say, God, there's nothing more important than feeling your touch on my life right now. I don't want to just have emotions or have motions without some emotion on the inside. I don't want to just go through the ritual. I don't want to just go through the paces, but I want to feel what I say. When I talk to God, I don't want it just to be memorized words, but I want my heart to pour out to God from the depths of my soul. Yes. I heard my dad one time say, he said, you know, if I was gone a while and I came home, and I, I came home and said, my wife and all my five kids came up to see me, and they saw me there, and they just started jumping up and down, and they ran around the house three, four times. He said, boy, I, I'd say, I, they sure are glad to see me here. And he said, you know, after going away and coming back a half a dozen times or so, and they, all they did was just run around the house, and they never did come up to me and hug me and love me, and kiss me and hold me and say, I miss you. I'm so glad you're here. He said, I, I, I feel like I know they're happy that I'm here, but I, I want some affection. I want some love. I'm not telling you, please don't misunderstand me. For God's sake, keep running. I li I'll run right along with you. I like that. But that's not the only way to praise God. It's not the only form of demonstration. There's times God likes to be loved. He likes to be held. He likes to be hugged. He likes to have you make love to Him and say, Jesus, I love you from the bottom of my heart. Yeah. Praise God. Let's praise the Lord right now. Shall we talk to Him? Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Kandala Moshama, Mandala Katayo Mosandai. Mandala Mokito Yomo. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This sermon sounds like Dad and I, but I guess to tell you what happened to me, I've got to tell you because Dad was there. I preached one time in South Bend when my father was the pastor. It wasn't too far removed from the time that I would just got through telling you about. Everybody in the building shouted, it looked like. They ran the aisles. They just did whatever it looked like folks could do during preaching. People stood up most of my message, and I thought, dear God, we had high church tonight. Dad got me in the office. You better be glad he wasn't your pastor. He got me in the office. He said, sit down. I sat down, he came in and closed the door and locked it and leaned up against it. He didn't say good preaching. He didn't say I enjoyed that. One thing I'll say about my dad, he, he, he never bragged on me a whole lot when I did what I thought was 
passable. But he always bragged on me when I, when I messed up. He said, anybody can tell when they hit a ball out of the park. He said, it's a guy that went down swinging. It's a guy that needs encouragement. You know, if you'd have hit it, it'd have been, <laughs> it'd have been a good one. <laughs> but he, he sat me down and he said, Son, I, I want you to know one thing. What you just got through preaching was good. And the people liked it. But that didn't require any study on your part. That didn't require any depth or any experience in God. That was just off the top. What you need if you're ever going to do anything for God is to, he's telling me, is to get seek God's face, to pray, to fast, to study, and do more and have more than just a little shallow experience. Everybody can kind of get folks to clap their hands and kick their heels up once in a while. And I know sometimes when you dig around the roots, it doesn't always get a whole lot of shouting, hooping, and hollering. But if I can make you think today and cause you to realize it's not just you and it's not just me. This is an age of shallowness where people are not in God what they need to be. Amen. But thank God there's still some folks, even in Sardis, who haven't defiled themselves, who've still got a touch of God in their lives, who still have a desire to press on and still have a desire to seek the old time paths. I noticed it said in the book of Judges 16 and 20, I'm not going to turn there. Speaking of Samson, it said he shook himself as before. And it said he wished not that the spirit departed. Notice this, shook himself as before. Notice this, same demonstration as before. Wish not the spirit departed. That means same feeling. He had the same feeling had the same demonstration, but there was no God. And that's the, that's the thing that scares me, slap silly, to think that I can have the same feelings and the same demonstration, but not the same thing on the inside. Maybe nobody in the building but me is feeling that way today, but I'm telling you, with me, it's serious business. Because I want to have the things that's true and real on the inside. That's why I say... Can I, can I just say how I'd say it if I was home today? The Bible evidently is making a difference between praying and seeking God's face here. And I've been in enough of my prayer rooms and prayer meetings in our prayer rooms where there was a lot of folks praying, but there wasn't a whole lot of folks seeking God's face. I found a, a definition of seeking His face. And, and the, uh, the definition says to seek the face is to seek an audience with a prince or with God to be in their presence. In other words, it's just not saying words. It's just not saying, oh God, we need to not move, Lord, fill somebody with the Holy Ghost. But you're trying to find yourself in the presence of God. You're saying, God, I want an audience with you. I want to commune with you face to face. I want to hold your hand. I want to feel your touch. I don't just want to say words but I want to be in your presence. Praise God, praise God. Mom was in a church praying. Travail came over her. She was travailing and crying out to God. Somebody ran over to my father. Phil, Brother Ballesterio, quick, quick, get an ambulance. Call the doctor, Sister Ballesteros, 
sick. Something's wrong with her bad. She's in pain, hurting. They didn't know what her problem was. And my father walked over there and looked at her and said, What's wrong with you? Don't you know travail? Don't you know a burden? Don't you know intercessory prayer when you see it? These folks were so shallow, they couldn't even remember what it looked like to see somebody travail and see somebody intercede before God. I pray it never dies out from our prayer rooms. Amen. I say pray it never dies out from our prayer rooms. It's that kind of prayer that brings a shout, that brings some worship, brings some praise before God Almighty. Praise the Lord. Let's praise Him some more. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Verse 13 said, No root. They received it with joy, but they lacked moisture. They lacked spirit. They were dry to the core. You and I have more and we have less at the same time. Too many folks are content to sit and dry up in Pentecostal services. I'm so tired of playing cheerleader around the country trying to get folks to do something that ought to come automatically. Yeah, I said trying to get folks to do something that ought to come automatically. My wife and I decided we wanted to raise some boxer pups. We had some championship bloodlines and someone had made us a nice gift. So we, we had some little boxer pups. We had a chocolate boxer, flashy. And and this time, the, the, when the box, the pups were selling maybe for two and a half or so, uh, a good chocolate-colored boxer would sell for 900 to 1,000. I mean, it's worth three four times more. We were so happy, all oh, goody-goody gumdrops. And, and with, this was this, this mother's first litter. She had eight. And when that little chocolate puppy was born, this mother who had never had a litter before, within just a matter of a few minutes, took her nose and pushed that puppy away. And my wife said, how dare you push that puppy away? That's the best one. And I'll stick that right back up there and put it at the table where it can get groceries like everybody else. And the mother just took it and pushed it back away again. We say, well, you don't know anything about raising families. You ain't so smart. Here, eat. And every night, for weeks, my wife would go down every three hours and bottle feed that little puppy because Mama wouldn't feed it. And when we went in to have the tails, Doc claws fixed and everything, the vet looked at it and said, that pup has water on the brain. It'll not live. It'll, it's fixing to die within just a matter of days. The most humane thing would be let me put it to sleep. That mother knew automatically that something was wrong with that puppy before we did. Amen. I'm telling you, if you have to be force-fed and you have to have special attention all the time, I worry about your makeup, folks. It ought to come natural for you to feed on your own. It ought to come natural for you to be up there when it's feeding time and ought to have somebody have to cram it down your throat all the time and say, here, take some of this and eat some of this. Amen, 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 amen. There ought to be a want-to in your heart. There ought to be a hunger in your soul. The book still means what it says. When it said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
If you're not filled, it just means you're not hungry. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. The majority of church trouble I've seen in my congregation and others has been started by shallow people. It's amazing to me how acceptable shallow people really are. Shallow people find their way to the, to the platform to play musical instruments. Shallow people find their way into leadership where it's just charisma pushing them along and it's not an experience in God. You can't find a substitute for someone with an experience of God. I don't care how much talent and ability you've got. If God's not in it, it's going to come to naught. When they chose helpers in the book of Acts, they found men full of the Holy Ghost and faith. They didn't look for shallow people. When you look for men with, for leadership in your church, look for someone that's full of the Holy Ghost and faith. Amen. And you'll find God's blessing on your congregation because there'll be people with depth and leadership. Amen, amen, amen. Genesis 22. Abraham was going up the mountain with his son. Isaac, pretty sharp. He checks it all out and he said, Daddy, Behold, we have the wood. We have the land. No, he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb? And Abraham uttered in prophecy, The Lord will provide himself a lamb. And I can preach to you about the lamb the blood of Jesus, Jesus Christ, mention our forgiveness, talk about redemption. I can talk to you about the wood, the humanity, you and myself, about the fire, spirit and zeal. There they said, behold the fire in the wood, where is the lamb? In some places today you can say we have the wood and we have the lamb, but where is the fire? I want the fire of God to burn in my heart. I want the fire of God to burn within your heart. Set us aflame with the fire of God. In the city of South Bend, we have a group of Indians who have made a name for themselves called the Potawatomi Indians. And I've read a lot of cowboy stories, a lot of Indian stories, and I never read one thing about Potawatomi Indians. The name don't even sound good. But we have a great big structure sitting in the middle of the river. And it's called the Keeper of the Fire. And it's dedicated to the Potawatomi Indians. And that's what their name means, Keepers of the Fire. They were once an original one big tribe with the Chippewas and the Ottawas. They were in Canada. And the Ottawas stayed where they were there. And the Chippewas went one direction. And the, and the Potawatomis came down to where we, walk, we are. And the thing is, some of the others, the Chippewas, they, they kind of went their own way in some of the ceremonies, but the Potawatomis kept the old council fires, they kept the fire the same, they kept the, the ritual the same, and all the other Indians call them the keepers of the fire. 
There were some things they would not give up. Some things they did not change. They might have said, no, we didn't stop this fire, but we're going to make sure we never let it go out. We want our children to see it keep on burning. We want our children's children to see the thing burn and burn. You and I have a duty and obligation to keep the fire burning. Like it did in the tabernacle, some fires never go out. I suppose if you walked into a morgue, the medical examiner was there, and he was given an autopsy to a shallow church that had died. You would hear him make these remarks as he has his gloves on and he's examining and checking the internal recesses of a dead, shallow church. He notices that there are dryness of the tear ducts. There seems to be a stiffening of the joints. Arms can't raise. Knees don't bend anymore. There's a deterioration of the backbone. No longer can stand up for truth or for the church or for the pastor. Their heart became hard. There's the inability to pant. There's the inability to love. It's not soft as it once was. There seems to be an absence of God in their thoughts. There's no trace of the Word found in them. They didn't receive preaching. There seems to be a hearing loss. They have ears, but they can't hear. It looks like it's malnutrition they've quit eating. Problem with the digestive tract. They seem to be filled with their own lust and their own ways. Their eyes are blinded. No vision they can't see. I do not believe that's the church Jesus Christ is coming for. That's certainly not a church, a picture of what I see sitting before me today. I'm glad I see folks in front of me who are alive, who enjoy the power of the Holy Ghost, who experience the vibrance of God's glory as was so wonderfully preached last night, who knows what it's like to be involved in the work of God and have the Holy Ghost work through them to see miracles, to see God have His way in their lives. But not everybody is as fortunate as you are. I'm closing with this. I wish I had the author's name. It's just simply entitled, Stir Me. Stir me, oh stir me, Lord. I don't care how. But stir my heart in passion for the world. Stir me to give, to go but most to pray. Stir till thy blood-red banner be unfurled or lands that still in heathen darkness lie or deserts where no cross is lifted high. Stir me. Oh, stir me, Lord, till all my heart is filled with the strong compassion for these souls till thy compelling must drives me to prayer till thy constraining love reaches to the poles far north and south in burning deep desire till east and west are caught in love's great fire stir me oh stir me lord till prayer is pain 
to prayer is joy till prayer turns into praise. Stir me to hearts and minds and will, yea, all is wholly thine to use all through the day. Stir till I learn to pray exceedingly. Stir till I learn to wait expectantly. Stir me, oh, stir me, Lord. Thy heart was stirred by love's intensest fire till thou didst give thyself for me at Calvary, even to the dreadful cross that I might live. Stir me to give myself so back to thee that thou canst give thyself again through me. That is my prayer today, and I hope it's your prayer too. Shall we stand and lift our eyes and tell God that we want to be stirred in this PSR meeting. We want to be stirred in this conference through the preaching of the Word. If you by chance came here a shallow person, if you were just going through the praises through, through the formality of clapping your hands and playing patty cake in a service. Worship God till tears can run down your cheek. Lift your hands till you can feel what's coming from the inside. Mean what comes through your lips. Don't let it just be memorized prayers, but let your heart cry out in urgency to God today. God bless you. Thank you for the opportunity to speak.